is only one weapon more powerful than evil. Love. Perfect love drives out fear. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is selfless. It burns the conscience of those who hate you. Love plants flowers in war-torn fields and offers food and shelter to the thief who came to steal. The world will know we are Christians by our love. It is our love for God and his people that transforms. The kingdom of God isn't coming through politics, our intelligence, money, or power. It is coming through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our mission. And love is our weapon. And love for God and our neighbor is the whole of the law of the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When I was a sophomore in high school, Patience, who is now my wife, invited me to come to her church's youth group. At that point in my life, I was really unsure about who I was, and I really didn't like myself, if I'm honest. I wasn't the most social person, a bit awkward, really, and that invoked ridicule from many of the kids at school or in sports. I certainly wasn't quick-witted enough to defend myself from their jokes. I remember coming home some days, especially in middle school, really hating myself. And I think my story is really similar to many others in that way. Kids can be really mean, and that meanness can really scar us for a long time. I hate to remember the times I made fun of others, knowing what I know now. Anyway, that is who I was then, and I decided to go with patience to that youth group, mostly because I thought she was cute. And what I experienced at that church youth group, however, can be summarized with one word, love. At that youth group, other kids my age actually talked to me. They wanted to talk to me, and they cared about me. They just didn't want to make fun of me. And they worshipped God, not because they had to, but because they really wanted to. They really loved him. The love that I saw, that I heard, that I felt, and perceived, penetrated my heart. God used their love for him and for me to work out my salvation in my life. And I wanted what they had, not out of envy, but out of a recognition that I was a mess and I couldn't fix myself. And when I asked God to fix me, to take my sin, to take my brokenness, I asked him to transform me and give me life. He did. My life has never been the same. There is nothing more real than the love of God for us and in us and through us. And that is why love is the central message of John's first letter. Love heals. Love restores. Love is our hope and our life and our strength. Love is what they needed to return to in the middle of the fallout they had experienced. So let's turn together now to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verses 11 through 24 together. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. 
we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. The first point from this text that I want us to see is that we as Christians are known by our love. We are called Christians because we are Christ followers. We're supposed to be like him. God used the love I received from other Christians to bring me to faith in my own story, they were demonstrating Jesus' love to me. But notice that not everyone appreciates this. It says in verse 13 that the world hates our love. Why would John say that? John points out after that that Cain murdered his brother out of envy for his righteousness. And that is a timeless truth. When someone else comes on the scene as we are speaking our mind or demonstrating our selfishness and our actions, and they interrupt us with love? One of two things is likely to happen. We repent, we see our foolishness, or we harbor up hatred. John tells us not to be like that. Do not let selfishness and pride get in the way. We are not to be known by these things, he's saying. Verse 14 says that our love for God's people shows we have passed from death to life. Our souls are reassured of our salvation when we love our brothers. I think this point is one that is important to stress at this particular moment in time. Think about it this way. Does your Facebook timeline or your Twitter account demonstrate love for your brother? Or let me approach it from this way. If you post or say things, whether it be online or in person, or even just think resentful or spiteful things about another Christian brother. These words from John are a warning to you. We are called to love one another. What you think about how society should respond to COVID, or what you think about those people who voted for such and such, or what you think about this or that person, if you speak about anything or anyone with inward hate and resentment towards them, especially another brother, another follower of Jesus, you are not acting in accordance with the Spirit of God that he has given us. Be very, very careful. We are God's children, and we're called to love no matter what. John says if we hate our brother, we are a murderer and do not have eternal life in us. That's a serious deal. God is love, remember. John says that. And we are his children born out of his love. Nobody is too far gone for our love.
Nobody. Even some of the worst war criminals from Nazi Germany, for example, who were responsible for the slaughter of tens of thousands of people. Those men. Some of them came to faith in Jesus just before they were executed for their war crimes. And if it bothers your sense of justice that God would forgive somebody like that, you do not yet understand why Jesus came and what he did. Remember, on the cross, Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this leads us to the next point. Jesus has shown us perfect love. Verse 16 says that this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I think that when we typically hear this verse, when we hear that we should die for one another as Christ dies for us, I think that what typically comes to mind when we hear that we should die for one another as Christ dies for us is something along these lines. Like if something terrible were occurring, some sort of accident or great danger were happening, that we should be willing to die in that moment for one another. And that's really true. We should do what it takes to preserve life, to rescue those in desperate need or danger. But to lay down our lives for our brothers means a whole lot more than just that. I think it's easy to picture ourselves as some sort of brave hero rushing in at that last moment to save the child in imminent danger, to save the day. And that's good, but really, to lay down our lives for one another means we do so in the ordinary courses of events in life. We should lay down our lives in love to one another always, not just in desperate moments. And John gives us some examples. He says in verse 17 through 18, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? The answer to this rhetorical question is obvious. If we deny aid to our brothers in need, we are far from God. Loving compassion is the mark of God's children. James, the physical brother of Jesus, for example, tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We need to love the broken because that is who we were before we receive the love of Christ for us. We are being self-righteous if we think that we are beyond that sort of thing. God rescued us despite our sin, and so we love others despite their sins too. He goes on to say in verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. The word translated here is action, or sometimes his deed, in Greek, is the word ergo. It is often translated as work that has been done, or work that is being done. For example, Jesus' work was to do the will of his Father. And our work really on earth is to do the same thing. God has clearly spoken what that work is. Love God, love our brother, love our neighbor, seek to bring the kingdom of God, share the good news wherever we are always. That's the truth we're to share. We don't water it down. We speak it kindly and in love. Really, the Sermon on the Mount is given to us to help us understand what our work here on earth should look like. This idea of love as action done or working is very different from the world's idea of love. 
which is primarily described as a feeling. Really, the world typically views love as some sort of emotional high that we get from others. And thus, we shouldn't be surprised when we see the relationships between unbelievers breaking apart. God's love is not selfish. J.I. Packer, in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, says the heart of holiness is the spirit of love. Let me read to you a few words from that section of his book. He says, Love to God and man, says Jesus, is the whole burden of the law. Love, says Paul, is the first fruit of the Spirit, and without love, the would-be Christian is nothing. Love looks, not away from, but beyond rules and principles, to persons, and seeks their welfare and glory. Love is not essentially a feeling of affection, but a way of behaving, and if it starts as a feeling, it must become more than a feeling if it is truly to be love. Love does something. It gives. That is how it establishes its identity. He then quotes this passage we're discussing in First John about Jesus' love demonstrated for us. He goes on to say, As Jesus was law incarnate, so he was love incarnate, and following his way of self-giving is holiness in its purest and most perfect expression. Hard, harsh, cold-hearted holiness is a contradiction in terms. Love to God as prescribed in Matthew, citing Deuteronomy 6.5, and as voiced in Psalm 18, and to love to neighbor as defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and illustrated in Jesus' story of the Samaritan, is, by contrast, the very heartbeat of holiness. On the costliness of such love I will not dwell, though in fact it is very costly to practice. Suffice it here to have made the point that without love, anything purporting to be holiness is in God's sight nothing. In other words, it is a hollow sham. We do well to examine ourselves often at this point. End quote. Love really is costly, but it is worth every penny, every second, every bit of emotion given to it. I think especially of how much I have given up as a father, as a husband, to love my wife and children. It's very costly. It's very time-consuming. But I can't imagine any better way of being spent. So consider the application. Who do you right now especially need to love? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Maybe your neighbor? Or do you even know who your physical neighbor is? Or maybe it's those on the social media pages you're a part of. Are you loving them as Jesus loves you? Think of it this way. Is there anyone in your life you don't want to love? Check your heart against that standard. Real love means you have to give up any sense, any expectation of receiving anything in return. Love others despite their sin. Love them and forgive them and seek their best always. But don't stop there. They need to hear the good news too. And sometimes the world will criticize our love, especially when we bring love with the good news. And that's okay. And God will remember it. And he'll bless us for it. I remember one winter, I was driving through North Rapid City in South Dakota. It was a blizzard. And if you've been in a blizzard on the Midwestern Prairie before, you know what the wind does and feels like as it cuts through your clothing. The snow was pretty deep, even on the road, maybe six to eight inches. And as I was coming up to an intersection, 
I noticed an older woman carrying a few plastic bags of groceries, walking along the side of the road through the snowdrifts. One of my college roommates was with me at the time, and we were driving in my little old Toyota single cab pickup. When I seen her, a few things went through my mind all at once. I knew she was in need, and I knew my roommate would be mad if I stopped for her, and I knew people say you shouldn't pick up strangers. But I also knew from God's word and from his spirit being in me in that moment that if I drove past, I would be driving past Christ. So I stopped. She got into the truck. My roommate scooted over into the middle, obviously upset and uncomfortable. The woman's old jacket was dirty, and she smelt of alcohol. I asked her where she was going. She shared her story with me about why she was staying at a hotel along the interstate, how she was looking for her daughter who she was out of touch with and couldn't find. I think she was being honest. We talked as we drove the three or so miles, which would have been a dreadful long walk. When we stopped at the motel, she kept talking. We listened. She began to weep. She was very broken. I prayed for her, that she would find her daughter, and that she would come to see that Jesus loves her so much. As she got out of the truck, she said, God bless you, and walked into the motel. I don't know the rest of her story, but I do know that in that moment, God chose to demonstrate his love through me to that woman. All I know is that it was my job in that moment to be Jesus lived out for her. Now, I'm not telling you to go and pick up strangers or hitchhikers, but I am telling you that if God impresses upon your heart that you should, you better. When you know you should do something, whatever it is, do it. Do not ignore the spirits pressing upon your heart. Do not let the awkwardness of the moment the inconveniences to your schedule, or even your perception of comfort and safety get in the way. I'm not saying to forsake wisdom and sound judgment, but often real love is costly. It does not always make sense in the world's eyes, nor is it always easy. But remember that the safest place you can be is right where God is. And this brings us to the third point. When we follow God's commands... We have nothing to fear. That is what verses 19 through 24 are really getting at. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we keep his commandments, namely to love, we can rest assured that we will receive the eternal heavenly blessing. We don't have to be afraid of judgment or what happens to us in this world even. We love because he loves us. And just as his love stepped in and broke the cycle, of getting what we deserved, namely death and punishment, so too our love steps in to break that cycle for the lives of others. When we love as Christ loves us, he is with us, he remains in us, it says, and the Holy Spirit is with us to guide us and assure us and work in us. That is why when we keep his commands to love, and as it says in verse 22, do what is pleasing in his sight, we receive whatever we ask for. We know what's pleasing in his sight. We know what to ask for. We know what his love looks like. And so when we are living by the Spirit and loving others, Christ is near us. His Spirit is in us. He remains in us. And this same Spirit that resides in us and assures us keeps us going. 
It gives us motivation. It gives us strength. It gives us comfort. It gives us security. God is love. He is light. And he shines into dark places through our love. There's nothing more fulfilling in life than being filled with the presence of God as we do his will here on earth. That is what we were made for, to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. Patience and I were talking last night about the moments in life when we felt most loved. Both of us had really similar answers to that question. It was when we have done something wrong and were forgiven. It was when we knew we were guilty and deserved nothing, but instead were given love and forgiveness. Those were the moments we felt most loved by others. Forgiveness and love often go hand in hand. And so, do you need to ask for forgiveness? Or do you need to forgive someone? Do not be afraid. So in conclusion, ask yourself this question. Am I loving others as Jesus loves me? I know that even as I ask that question, how short I myself fall. We all recognize how short we fall, but know that he still loves us, despite our failures. So don't let shame or self-pity keep you down. Don't get stuck. Step out in faith and love selflessly, and you will find that God is near you. One of the most life-bringing things that I get to do is help with a few youth ministries. I help with the Band of Brothers here at Harvest, and in Colorado, during seminary, I help out with the local Awana Club. I began today by sharing with you a bit of my story of how I came to faith. I remember what it was like being a messed up kid in a messed up world, not knowing where to turn. But love interceded, and now I have the privilege to intercede with my love into kids' stories who were a lot like mine back then. I get to love them as others loved me, as Christ loves us all. It's beautiful and good. It brings life to me and to others, and it helps me see the big picture and get beyond myself. God is love, and this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So go now and love as Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening in today. I hope that this message encourages your heart and mind to the point of action. Remember to join us next Wednesday when we will be discussing the idea of testing the spirits from John chapter 4. Until then, may God bless you and may you be assured by the Spirit of God in you as you love those around you. Amen.